well, you keep thinking that grad school isn't for you. <laughs> and maybe we should think about that. Um, and, and one of the things that would have been great is if we had, if I had really thought about that, I would have possibly started thinking about backup plans. Like what would I do if I weren't gonna stick around? Welcome back. We are here for another exciting episode of Academics Mean Business. Today, I have Masha Evepak, and she is a fascinating uh, story. We dive deep, deep, deep into the basically the emotional toll that being a part of a PhD program can have on you. So she was on that path. Um, she was headed to, you know, finish her PhD over at U the University of California, San Diego. So she's actually somewhat local to me right now, very close to where I live. Um, and so we talked a little about that biology degree. And Upon deciding that she she basically found out she wanted to exit, but she was dealing with some anxiety and depression uh, around the program and making that decision. And she we really go into the mentors along the way that helped her through that process and the steps that she took to be able to leave her PhD program with a master's um, in hand. And now she actually works at a college, um, but in more of the administrative setting. And so we talk a little bit about that too. So I really do hope you enjoy this discussion that we have around kind of the emotional health of PhD students and doctorate students and what that means, you know, as a society, uh, as we put people through a program that on the other end of it, you know, there isn't that many jobs, uh, you know, and so we talk about this idea of 50% of people exit uh, before finishing their PhD, but what emotionally is are they dealing with? So this is a really great conversation, and I really do hope you enjoy it. All right. Welcome, Masha Evepak. I'm really excited to have you on the show, Masha. Um, I We're local together, actually. We're both in San Diego right now, which is really fun. <laughs> and oh, I, I didn't realize that you yeah, had mentioned that I, you were going to be visiting. I forgot <laughs> to bring that up in kind of our little pre-session, but I was uh, realizing that today. I was like, oh, we're both in San Diego. I think it came up because it's also your birthday when we're recording. So this is a happy yeah. birthday <laughs> from the Academics Mean Business podcast. We're just really glad that you're here um, at spending your birthday with us and sharing your story. Yeah, I, I'm i a huge fan of birthdays. So that shows you how excited I am <laughs> wow. to be on your podcast because <laughs> yeah. I, well, I couldn't think of anything fun. better. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll have Derek splice in some happy birthday music or something like that. Yay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So Masha, why don't we hear a little bit about your academic background? Tell us about what you studied, um, what you're passionate about, and kind of your relationship to higher education. Sure. Um, so I think I'll start off by telling you what I focus on now, because um, I think mm. that... Does, is that... Does that work? Yeah, totally. Cool. So I have two focuses. So by day, I work at San Diego Continuing Education, uh, where I help organize the Dean of Business and Information Technology. So we're mm. a school that has these uh, amazing free career training classes. So I'm still partly in academia, um, although I do uh, also consider myself a recovering academic. Um, which is <laughs> we'll get into that for sure. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's for... Um, 
you know, my academic training says I have to cite my sources. So uh, that uh, the recovering academic comes from um, my friend's recovering academic podcast. Yes. Um, you connected <laughs> us to each other, actually. Yes. I'm, awesome. I'm excited cool. to talk with those those people, too, sometime yeah, in the future. Yeah, they're we'll amazing. See. Yeah. Um, so that's by day. Um, so by night, I'm a confidence coach and a speaker for my side business, Bold Adulting. Mm. And so I help academics and creatives uh, get through the struggles that they have on the day to day. And um, what is most exciting to me is I also help them find uh, confidence and skills to go after those big dream goals. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I also love yeah. the title of that, by the way, because you also have a podcast, correct? Yeah. 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 So the Bold Adulting podcast. Yeah. I, I actually really love naming things. Um, <laughs> well, you're really so good at it. <laughs> I, thank you. That could, yeah, you so could just the, add that to your CV, like a really awesome name, namer. I don't know. Namer I, of things. <laughs> I, I do have now multiple things that I have named. So I go. even, well, um, yeah. I, so Bold Adulting came to me about a month and a half after I decided that I wanted to start organizing my projects into a business. Mm. And I just knew I had to wait for the name. It would just come to me. Mm. And one night I was fall I was falling asleep, uh, listening to podcasts because I always listen to podcasts while I fall asleep. <laughs> and I think I was half asleep. And then suddenly I realized, oh, I got it. It's bold adulting. Oh, and I, love that. I, I got up and I checked is boldadulting.com available? Right? Is it available Domain on check. Twitter? Is it available on Instagram? <laughs> and it was, and I'm, I was just thrilled. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So tell us a little bit about your, yeah, your academic journey My to backstory. get you to the current position that you're at, um, at the San Diego, uh, San Diego continuing education, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I, so when I was an undergrad, uh, I studied psychology and biology, mm. um, and I also had a chemistry minor. Oh, cool. um, so I actually I started as a, a psych major and um, then actually sort of copied my best friend's um, majors and minor mm. because <laughs> I started getting really excited about neuroscience. Like psychology was was definitely interesting to me. Um, and it turns out to be a big focus of what I'm actually working on now. Yeah. But I also really wanted to understand what is the underlying molecular basis for what's going on. Um, so uh, I went to Humboldt State uh, University, which is an amazing college. I actually just got back a couple of days ago from a week-long um, like mental health vacation up there. Oh, awesome. Um, it's yeah, beautiful up there. Really, Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And the people are incredible. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of being really open about the things that I've tried that didn't work out. Mm. In fact, that's like one of the themes of my workshops. And so I actually ended up at Humboldt State because I didn't get into UC San Diego for undergrad. Got it. Um, and it turns out I'm so thrilled yeah. that I you know, ended up there. Yeah. So when I was there, I worked on so many different research projects. Um, I realize now that I'm what is called a generalist, mm, or recently mm -hmm, I heard the term mm -hmm. comprehensivist. Oh, um, that's a good one too. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I heard that actually at my day job the other day, um, which I guess it's the same idea of you're trying out different or you um, are interested in lots of different things, but it also suggests that for some of those things, you go in deep. Mm. Um, yeah. So I, I actually worked on seven, uh, seven different research projects. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I was, um, and I was also doing, I was like, I was a teaching assistant, mm -hmm. um, taking a bunch of classes. It was honestly, I think I just, 
in retrospect, I realized that I had or have chronic anxiety that was driving a lot of this overachievement. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. And so I, um, I was working on all these different projects. They started off in psychology. Um, over time, they, I ended up focusing more on the biological projects. And my plan was always to get a PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad has a PhD. Uh, my mom was a doctor back um, before we moved from Russia. And so this higher academia was always there, yeah. even when I didn't really understand what is a PhD, what is it good for, what mm. is the actual experience. Yep. Um, and so then another you know, wrench got thrown into my works when I didn't get into the grad program that I really wanted to mm-hmm. be in. Um, so as a senior, I applied to a bunch of programs. I did get into two PhD programs, one in neuroscience and one in language and communicative disorders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, both great programs. I'm sure, you know, I would have gotten great things out of them. But that year, I got really passionate about biology. Mm. Initially, I had really seen biology as a means towards just understanding human behavior, like to understand neuroscience. But I think it was actually teaching that got me really excited about biology. Oh, I, I was serving that. as a supplemental instructor, uh-huh. instructor um, which is, it's like a teaching assistant, yep. but it's um, only for students who need that extra help. Yeah. So um, you yeah, were, I'm, I'm gl- if you don't mind me jumping in really quickly, just to clarify. Absolutely. So we, I, we had SIs at my community college as well. So that mm-hmm. was basically you're in a college level classroom, but you might be working with targeted students specifically, or is that, is that how you guys, you were, um, uh, doing that job? Was that the, you were in a college level classroom helping the teacher in, various capacities, but sometimes in small groups. Is that what it was like? Um, Almost. Almost. So, okay. um, so my, mine was for, so I was the supplemental instructor for genetics. And oh. so I had taken it one year and then the following year I was the, the um, SI for it. And it was not, I wasn't in their actual classroom. Oh, okay. But it was, um, it's, it's actually this really interesting program where um, instead of students who um, instead of identifying students who may need extra help, instead they identify classes where, mm. you know, that tend to be especially um, have high fail rates. And then students can themselves select to go to that. And so uh, I had my own section. Um, cool. It was 17 students. And it was all the students who said they want the extra help. It Got was actually, it. It, it. In these classes, you get an interesting divide where it's the high performing students who will take every opportunity to sure. learn more. Mm-hmm. And then the students who struggle more, who mm-hmm. know that they need that extra mm-hmm. help. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I got so passionate about, about biology then, because it turns out I love communicating. Um, you know, I love communicating complex concepts to people. Mm-hmm. And when I didn't get into my dream program, which turned out to be the UC, UC San Diego biology PhD program, mm-hmm. I interviewed with them and I just loved it. I loved, um, you know, San Diego is where I was um, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, I've lived in San Diego most of my life, other than um, being born in Russia the first couple years of my life. Um, and then the five years I was up at Humboldt State. So I was certainly happy t- at the opportunity to return to San Diego. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing was the community that I saw there. Mm. The grad students were just amazing. Um, the professors seemed caring. And so when I didn't get in there, um, 
I actually ended up doing the very scary thing of turning down the two PhD programs that I did get into Mm -hmm. and saying, all right, well, where do we go from here? And one of the recurring themes of my story in my life is the ways in which mentors have helped me. uh And so I don't know what I would have done without multiple of my mentors then. Um, One of my mentors, actually the instructor who um, taught that genetics class that I was the the supplemental Mm -hmm. instructor for, um, he really helped my confidence um, at the time when those PhD programs said no to me um, by nominating me for an award. And so I actually ended up winning. Yeah, I ended up winning the Outstanding Student of the year award. I was one of three winners um, my senior year. And he rallied a bunch of the, these many, many professors for whom I did research projects um, to write up little blurbs about, you know, kind of letters of recommendation. Sure. And um, that was, it, it was both really helpful for my confidence. Um, it was also um, the contrast between, you know, at, at my undergrad, people saying, wow, like you're like th- one of the top three students in contrast to not getting into that next step. Oh yeah. Um, that was also difficult, but still, I mean, it, it was just wonderful how he did that. And then the other person who was just so instrumental was the professor who actually ended up becoming my thesis advisor when I did ultimately end up joining the PhD mm. program. So, um, I met with, I met her at interviews. So I talked to her for only about half an hour and I didn't end up getting into the program because they were concerned that I didn't have enough. Um, I hadn't focused on one biology research project ah, for the extended so, yeah, period of time. So the, the multiple yeah. projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And it turns out prioritization is really important. Yeah. And that's a lesson <laughs> that I'm also kind of thinking about for now sure. in terms of you know what to focus on exactly. Mm. And um, it turns out in some ways they were right that n- not having had that time to really focus on one thing, um, it, it's not until you get thrown into something that you really see what it's actually like, sure. um, as opposed to how people, you know, what assumptions people make about what it'll be like. And so when I didn't get into that program, I ended up following back up with that, uh, you know, professor who, with whom I'd had a really good connection. And, you know, I was saying, I don't, I don't know what to do next. And, mm. She offered me a volunteer position in her lab. Um, and so I ended up, so I moved back to San Diego the day after I, um, after I graduated. And that's because, um, my now spouse, um, is, is, a um, is almost done with his PhD, um, also in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be back as soon as possible. And then just a few weeks later, I ended up joining that lab and volunteered there, um, well, basically right up until when I ended up reapplying and then getting into that PhD program. So um, it was just amazing how she saw in me, you know, some some promise. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I had that stumbling block, she decided that, she, you know, she would help me. And what I really needed was the experience of focusing on mm. a single project yep. for an extended period of time. Um, and so I did. And I reapplied. And the second time, it was just so different. Mm. Um, I not and that only, was within a yeah. year, right? Like the yeah. next round of applications. Exactly. Yeah. And because of the way the cycle works out of, of applying, I started volunteering in the lab 
May, like basically right after graduating. And then mm-hmm. already by November, I had to submit all those applications. Yep, quick. Um, but luckily, I, yeah, I already had, um, you know, the, even like a few months on a research project, uh, on a research project, that's already a good amount of time to have something to say about the things that didn't work out and how you troubleshooted it and Mm -hmm. the background (laughs) and why you're doing it and what you would do next. And so when I reapplied, um, it was, it was a really different experience. I was so much more comfortable with the project, um, because it wasn't, it wasn't a whole bunch of different projects where, you know, I just focused a few hours per week on each one while mm-hmm. also studying. It was this one project that I was focusing on and had presented on, um, you know, like for lab meetings. And um, I got in that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, and then I started. So yeah. I, I did, luckily, I think I took about, I can't remember if it was either a week or a month. I'm hoping it was a month before <laughs> grad school because, um, you know, grad school, they, you know, they say it's, it's a it's a marathon, not yeah, a sprint. Just, and so, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's and also you know my whole anxiety driven overachievement was maintained even when I was volunteering, and so mm. I actually worked at a really intense pace. Like at, I think my very last day of volunteering, one of the postdocs who was also incredibly hardworking said, "Yeah, I was." I'm not sure why you were working so hard all year. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I, I wish you had told me that earlier. Right. <laughs> where, I'm where not sure if I would have listened. Yeah, but, totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, really where funny. she was, was there and answering so many of my questions, mm. even though she wasn't the main postdoc I worked with. The, the main postdoc I worked with was also just absolutely wonderful. It was such a supportive lab. So she, um, yeah, she definitely contributed so much. Um, everyone in that lab helped not only into my transition into grad school through volunteering, but um, as we'll get to uh, my transition out of grad school mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about when you started to kind of question things and and, and maybe start to look elsewhere, potentially, um, you know, just making that decision to to um, not continue uh, with the kind of academic path. Yeah. The funny thing is, I didn't really question whether I should be in grad school, even ah. when multiple times grad school was uh, not very friendly to me. Mm. And what I mean by that is that a lot of grad students experience anxiety yep. and depression. Yep. And I experienced those for sure. Yep. Yeah. And for the most part, no matter how much of that I experienced, it still felt like, well, I'm in this program. Like, that's what I'm doing now. That's yeah. I'm staying in. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, let's see. I'll, I'll tell you about a few specific um, experiences. Okay. Um, the first major bout of anxiety and depression that I had in grad school. And I think it was the first real bout of depression that I've ever had mm-hmm. was just before I f- joined my lab. So my my program is rotations-based. So we would spend six weeks each in different labs mm-hmm. before making a decision. Okay. And you could try up to about a year's worth. Okay. That's usually like four to six different labs. And even though I really loved the lab that I had been volunteering in and was pretty sure that's where I wanted to go. Um, we just weren't sure if, you know, um, listeners of this podcast, you may have heard that there's funding crises Mm. in academia, science, everything. Mm -hmm. And so we weren't sure if there'd be the funding for me. And so I was trying out all these different labs and 
right at the time when most people were joining their lab, it was still uncertain whether I'd be able to join. Mm. And that not only my top choice lab, but I'd found another lab on the same floor that I also really enjoyed the thesis advisor as a cool project. That lab also, they thought that they could take me and then suddenly they weren't sure. Mm. And com- that combined with a lot of the people in my life were experiencing major stresses yep. at the time. Yep. And I'm a very empathetic person. I take on a lot of people's stresses and it was just such extreme anxiety. Mm-hmm. Then about half a year later, and I should say, I did luckily end up being able to join that lab. And I don't know about the word luckily, it was <laughs> a lot of hard work. <laughs> sure. Not, uh, definitely some hard work on my part, but um, again, my advisor, absolutely amazing. And the mm. department also helped to make it this possible. Later on, so at the very beginning of my second year, so just a few months after I'd officially joined my that lab that I had volunteered in, we we're at our department's annual retreat. One of the amazing things about the UCSD biology program is that every year, the, everyone who wants to can go away for free to uh, Lake Arrowhead. And oh, wow. there's talks and there's bonding, all kinds of stuff. Nice. And also, when you're in your first year, you actually have this two-week-long thing they call boot camp. Um but it's not really boot camp. Sounds it's scary, like, but maybe not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some of the other programs have something that I think can be called a little more boot camp. Like mm. they're, I think they're actually starting to do more intensive research. It's uh, like 12 hour days. Oh, Ours wow. is called that, but it was much more about learning what's available in the program mm-hmm. and what's and getting to know each other. So these retreats are amazing. And my second retreat, so I was going into my second year. One night, I ended up with an anxiety attack, mm. and I didn't sleep all night. And a couple of things caused it. Um, one of them was, well, the main thing was a, f- a friend of mine in the program asked why I was in the program, essentially, because he could see that. And I, I know he had the best intentions. In fact, I've in, in follow-up, I've thanked him for that a difficult question that he asked me. But when he asked me, it, it was that reaction that I mentioned. It, it was, what are you talking about? This is what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm already like a year into this. This is what I'm doing. But he could see that I have other interests, other interests that, you know, maybe got me a lot more excited than research. And maybe I also talked about how the specific research or the specific experience of being a biology researcher on the day-to-day, you know, moving cells and liquids around and reading literature on a super narrow topic, Mm -hmm. I think you could see that I didn't seem very excited about it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it was that combined with um, another experience that night, which was as I was hanging out with these friends, um, I I tend to be a very authentic person Mm -hmm. and that's, I've become that more and more over time. Um, And so I just ended up sharing with them just about some of my experiences and I could just see that um, they were like, whoa, like I've, I think they were just really surprised by how much I opened up Mm. and no one seemed to mind particularly, but I could just see from their reaction that I just felt like, wow, I'm I'm different. I don't exactly uh, understand mm-hmm. how other people relate to each other if it's not by just opening up about their experiences. And so I think those two things combined 
made it a really intense experience. And so that night I stayed up all night. I just couldn't sleep. I, my sister lives um, in a different state and has always been a huge support. So luckily she was actually getting up for work at the time that I was still unable to sleep. And she mm-hmm. talked to me on the phone. Um, and the amazing thing is the next day I get together with some of my friends in the program and multiple people. I wasn't the only one who had an anxiety attack that night, all for different reasons. It's just that grad school is such a breeding ground for stress. And and I think it's a combination of the the environment and also the kind of people who go into it. Yep. Yep. Those two things (laughs) combined make it really intense. Yeah. 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 And so then um, later on, a few months later, I did have a period of depression that was so intense that it was the it was brief. It was only about a weekend, um, which I know f- when you're thinking about clinical depression, it's supposed mm. to go on for a few weeks. Yeah. But in terms of what I was experiencing, um, it very much felt like depression. And yep. so it was a, a few days where um, I became so convinced that grad school was awful, had always been awful, would always be awful, and I needed to leave. Wow. And it it was actually... What happened was... A little before that, I started finding things that actually made me really happy. Hmm. And so um, I reconnected with my high school best friend. And from our conversations, I started actually seeing things that really excited me. Mm. So um, here's another example of something that I've named. So we started a <laughs> community social justice organization mm. and just on a total whim, I thought of the name Quirks Who Care. So, you know, people are a little offbeat yeah, who yeah, also yeah. want to make a change in the world. Quirks I love Who it. Care. Perfect. So we started doing that, um, various um, events and online campaigns. Um, you know, I was really excited about teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing workshops for my graduate class or actually for the class under, you know, one year later because I recognized that there were resources and situations, resources needed mm. and situations that came up that I felt the program just didn't, wasn't proactive enough about. Yeah. And so, so you're I filling started, that gap. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I just, I suggested a workshop and I actually started doing qualitative research where I asked, I ended up getting about 50 people to share with me their experience about grad school. Perfect. And these yep. were grad students and postdocs. So yep. some of them were more in the early stages. Some of them had gone all the way through it and could reflect on it. And so I used that research, started making workshops, got myself put into the first year curriculum for the, I think it's called grad school fundamentals mm-hmm. class. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And then the other thing I was getting really excited about was science communication. So hmm. I, I, I knew that I liked, I knew that I loved biology. That's what I started seeing that senior year where I was teaching that biology supplemental class. And what I didn't realize is that it's not the doing of the biology. It's not the actual moving cells around that excited me. It was sharing about it. Ah. And so I also started taking pictures in, um, like pictures of the Petri dishes, Mm -hmm. um, so th- the project I was, oh, and then sharing those, uh, yeah. mostly through Instagram, um, That's so which I cool. found to be an amazing visual medium. Yeah. And um, then I ended up taking some of those pictures I had taken for um, Instagram and, you know, creating other, um, like other resources as a result. And um, yeah, so the the project that I was working on, uh, so 
we were studying how genes work mm-hmm. and how genes go wrong. So we were studying the same kind of yeast, baker's yeast, that is used to make bread rise or to make beer alcoholic. And uh, their cells are really similar to how human cells work. Oh, um, but they're so easy to work with. Um, there's amazing genetic techniques. And um, they're also really great, I think, for taking pictures of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not only under the microscope, that's great too. And that was a small part of my project. But I just liked... I, I just found there was so much you could show just with a Petri dish. Hmm. Like one of the my favorite pictures is one where the way that we, you could see evolution happening in a Petri dish. So um, just over the course of a few days, maybe a few weeks, the cells would be changing colors. Oh, that's cool. And this this was even though we were studying this in an incredibly carefully controlled environment. That's neat. And um, yeah, and so I just found that I could communicate to people who had no idea about these things that I was studying. So that's the science communication piece, like through image and like, so I would love to um, link to this in the show notes, pictures of these images. Do you have them on a website anywhere or is it like just on your computer? Yeah, I used to have, I, I, I think the website's not active right now, okay. but thegeneticsgal.com slash SciComm used to have all Perfect. of these. Perfect. Okay. Um, if that's not currently up, I do want to put those somewhere. So I'll, I'll happily like make sure to put them yeah. up somewhere. Yeah. And, and Derek yeah. too, as well, can, um, can kind of link to whatever. And if we just want to put the pictures in the show notes, that could work too. Whatever's easier cool. for you. But either way, we'll awesome. link to that if, it, if it's um, linkable. Perfect. Awesome. Because yeah, I think having so I love this. So you're you're kind of thinking about something. um, And it's linking back to what you shared with us earlier, which is one of your kind of strengths is your ability to communicate really difficult things in very simple ways. And I love the Mm -hmm. idea of science, even as art, right, as a way to communicate too, is so cool. Yeah. And it's funny, I never, ever, ever thought of myself as a creative person. Mm, I, for some reason, we just think of, we think of there's this divide of scientists yep, and creatives. Yep, yep. And I think part of why we think of that is that we don't really understand what science is. We think mm. of science as a list of facts that are in a textbook. Mm. But in fact, scientists are actually they have like a blank canvas and they take inform- they take uh, the lessons they've been taught, you know, like an artist would learn how to paint and then they have to create new information, new mm. s- synthesize new knowledge. And also if you're in a lab that isn't super rich, then there's a whole extra bit of creativity oh, because sometimes mm-hmm. you just don't have the tool that you need yep, or yep. it broke or all the kinds of different things you have to figure out what to do. And so, um, yeah, th- it was actually... In retrospect, I think a great a great um, experience of learning not only how science works, how the body works, all really how to organize myself, all really important things, but also getting this practice in actually creating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love how you put that. And yeah, being married to a physicist. I think part of what I loved about, you know, our conversations as grad students, you know, me doing sociology and him doing physics is there was a lot more overlap than I ever thought there would be. I never took a physics class. So I was just like, whoa. But then it's so playful and imaginative. Um, And I think we do ourselves a disservice actually in higher education because we're so siloed in these like, quote unquote, departments. Right. And so, Yeah. yeah, Derek was involved actually at UC Santa 
Cruz at this um, really cool thing called Science and Justice. And I'm pretty sure it still exists. So maybe he'll link Hmm. to it. Um, But the whole purpose of it actually uh, was to unite actually social sciences, humanities, and, you know, what we would consider as the hard sciences. So there was all all disciplines were there. There was like history of consciousness and sociology and social work. Um, and then there was, you know, philosophy. And then there was, of course, physics and engineering. And I think even in bio for sure. So it was this beautiful place where actually they started to create um, re- collaborative research projects together. And so he <gasps> was doing work in solar cell research. Um, and, you know, his, uh, his advisor was uh, working on creating greenhouses made out of, of solar cells and solar panels. And then they learned kind of social science qualitative research about going to the farmers and, you mm-hmm. know, figuring out how this would impact them and their communities um, versus the typical like, oh, we came up with this thing, like just put it out in the world um, and really actually thinking about the social impact. So I do think that like, really the future of higher education is when we are making these collaborations because that's where we're stretching ourselves. Um, and he was, <laughs> he was coming back reading stuff about um, like standpoint theory in science. And, and he had, I think, oh gosh, he's probably going to laugh at me as I try to remember <laughs> this, but um, there was a professor that was hired actually to teach in physics. And then she ended up being put into like feminist theory and thought. And so Um, which was an interesting uh, turn of events. And he could probably maybe explain it in show notes or something better. But, um, but their whole point was this idea of like the scientist is an observer and they have an impact. It's not as objective. And so he was reading texts that I was so used to reading, like as a social scientist, you know, we're pouring over every paragraph and word and, um, you know, and, and all of that. And your partner as a, as a philosopher probably has similar, um, you know, similar recollections of grad school being like that. And he came home one day and he's just like, Oh, now I get what you do in grad school. And I was like, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I love that too. Like there was that bridge, but anyways, um, I think it, I think there is something to be said for like what collaboration looks like. And I think we are losing a lot of, um, a lot of knowledge, uh, by not kind of sharing our theories and our, um, the way we do research and, um, you know, our knowledge is with each other. So interesting. So even just the, the art piece that we brought up, that's, that's, you know, just even like, yeah, that's like blasphemous a little bit to be thinking <laughs> of science as in that way. But it's I love it. It's such it's so it's so where we're headed, I, I feel like. It's funny because now people regularly call me an artist. Ooh, and I love every that. Single, or, or, yeah, or they'll say, oh, Masha is so creative. Mm. And it's it's interesting because I now identify that sure. way. But a few years ago, I never would have, oh, which so is perfectly in line with the kinds of things that the kinds of things that we talk about at Bold Adulting, mm. like growth mindset. I, I'm yep. not sure if that is a term that's in sociology, but maybe in pedagogy. It's in, um, yeah. I mean, Carol Dweck's work. I didn't come across mm. it actually until I became an entrepreneur, the idea of growth mindset. But yeah, I cool. think it's a little more psych based. Um, mm. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. So for, for people who don't know, growth mindset means not feeling limited by your current 
skills and abilities and continuing to, or, and the behaviors that would result from a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset would be to continue working on things, trying things out that you don't have very much experience with. So it's actually a perfect example of this growth mindset because, you know, I definitely didn't have, um, you know, a lot of these skills or, you know, willingness to try things that I did a few years ago. Um, or this past week, I actually ended up doing my first ever stand-up comedy. And oh, amazing. I mean, never had done that before. Unsurprisingly, my stand-up comedy was actually about growth mindset. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to bring up this. I just, this actually just dawned on me as we're talking. I think one of the problems with academia is most of us are in a fixed mindset. And so one of the things Carol Dweck talks about is, you know, and she does all this research with young kids. And it's one of, I think one of the core questions is like, do you believe that people are born smart? Or like there was, I don't know if you remember, Masha, if you could like expand on that, but there was this idea that, um, you know, can you improve your like intellectual ability or something like that? And early on kids who felt that some kids were just smart and other kids weren't right. There were just dumb kids and smart Mm -hmm. kids. And if once the kid was placed early and actually in either category, even the kids that were told they were smart really early, if they honestly believe that they were just naturally smart, they actually struggled um, and didn't want to be wrong because mm. they believe that they're that they were fixed, that they were fixed in their intellectual abilities and capabilities. The growth mindset loved like has this vision that, oh, if I work hard, that's how I get smarter. Now, of course, there's a lot of hard work in academia, but I do think underlying there is something of like, oh, that person's just smart or there's a lot of proving ourselves to people. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the anxieties and struggles we have is like, I don't want to fail at this. Like that's a big fear of academics. And I look at business and it's like, oh, you failed at that. Awesome. That's like more data, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like you're not going to do that again. (laughs) And, um, and, and I think that's telling that I didn't learn about growth mindset and it might also be related to when her research came out and stuff like that, but I didn't really learn about it until, um, I was, you know, in, in kind of reading personal development stuff, which I, which I got into more as, as an entrepreneur and definitely not as an academic. And so my own abilities to have to prove myself, get externally validated by getting this degree and have someone tell me like, yes, this is like, you know, this is cutting edge research and this is good enough, like came from a little bit of that fixed mindset. And, and like, to be clear, uh, Dr. Dweck talks about that, like you can be fixed mindset in some areas of your life and growth mindset in others. So obviously it's a constant exploration, but I, I just think basically what I think is that academia probably has a lot more fixed mindset than the growth mindset. Like you don't want to mess up. You're not allowed to fail, right? Failing means you don't get it. Um, and it's not about maybe necessarily growth. So I thought, I thought that was an interesting connection as you were talking. Yeah. I think that, I think that over the course of grad school, hopefully people learn to have much more of a growth mindset, Mm -hmm, especially, mm -hmm. but it's scary and it's hard. It is hard. Yeah. Yeah. So in like in for example life sciences um where you're doing experiments you get used to the fact that experiments yeah, fail over that's and true. over and yeah the scientific and, kind of method and and that process it makes sense yeah yep yeah and and so there is a point where i think 
people just understand, okay, well, these fail all the time. Like, mm-hmm. it's even something you complain about to your friends. But in that whole process, by over when you're getting used to stuff failing, you start often feeling bad about yourself. True. Which is why I made sure to plant my workshop at the very beginning of grad school and have actual quotes from actual grad students and postdocs saying, I really got used to my experiments failing mm, um, or I really went m- months on end without making any progress or mm-hmm. even years on end. Mm-hmm. I-, I think one reason that so many people do seem to have a growth, uh, excuse me, a fixed mindset in, in grad school is that coming out of undergrad, it really is about being right. You know, it's a lot of people in grad school are overachievers. So they are very used to, um, you know, like doing well on, on Mm -hmm, tests. mm -hmm. And, And by the way, those people who aren't, you know, people, those people who got into grad school but weren't overachievers have their own, you know, sure. extra set of confidence <laughs> yep. issues. Yep. But in undergrad, you, it wasn't so much about asking questions; it was about knowing the answers. Yep. And then suddenly you get into a situation in which, if you're working on a research project that actually has new things to discover, you don't know what the answers are. The methods probably haven't been developed yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's. You just have to, ideally, you have to get over perfectionism and get over your fear of not knowing something and just dive in and see what happens and then fail a bunch and then go talk to your thesis advisor who is hopefully supportive mm-hmm. and talk to other grad students and keep working and, you know, get... So, um, I think one of the things that has helped me with my own growth mindset mm-hmm. is realizing that I'm in my 20s. You know, I so I turned 28 today. Awesome. How could I possibly expect that I would know everything Every, that I, I know. need to Isn't know? Isn't that funny? Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially when I focused, you know, w- when you get to grad school, you've focused on something, something specific to get there or several specific things. And so then what you're just not going to try out other things because you happen to have not done them yet? Yeah. So I yeah, the I think growth mindset is just one of the absolute biggest takeaways that I try to leave people with. Like it's it's just been it's changed my life to think mm-hmm. of myself as a person who if I try something, I'll get better at it. Yeah, right? It's amazing. Um so Masha, I'd like to actually close the loop because I think we started talking <laughs> about um the awesome things that were going on for you in um in your research and in your studies. And then you actually had an episode or um, a bout of depression that, mm-hmm. um, uh, so I don't think we really finished that. I, I love where we're going with this. And I think the growth mindset is a huge piece of that. But for people who are maybe kind of curious what, um, what happened with that, if you want to kind yeah. of finish us up with that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so um, that, that experience where I was absolutely convinced that I should leave grad school, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Yeah, it's like just even thinking about it just takes me back to like such a weird mental health space. Sure. Um, I got through that with the help of one of my really close friends who I had met through my through my lab. Mm-hmm. Um, I turned to her and she helped me see that it wasn't the first time that I had had an experience like that where mm-hmm. I thought that I um, should possibly leave. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, we took that as a sign of, okay, well, you've you've gotten through it before Mm. you've thought you should leave, but you stuck with it. Mm -hmm. And that's a sign that you should stay with it. And I'm really grateful that she helped me that way. Mm -hmm. This is a friend who's helped me in so many different ways. Um, 
because by going back and finishing the next few months, I was qualified to leave with a master's. Otherwise, I would have left without a degree at all. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really glad that I had that experience. Uh, I'm really glad that she helped me stay Mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. I also, if I had left then, I wouldn't have had my major teaching experience. Ah. And that was just an absolute, I mean, it was just amazing. Like, if you listen to my podcast, two of my students have been interviewed on there. Oh, I love you know, it. I continue to Do stay you wanna, in touch with them. Yeah, let us know what the episodes are and we'll link out to them. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Or like um, one of my students I saw a few weeks ago when I was um, visiting my in-laws and he, he happened oh, to be living in the awesome. same town. Um, yeah. Like um, it's just it was an amazing experience. And including and clarifying a lot of these things that I now the confidence issues, the life skills that I now of course. teach. Yeah. But it's funny that we didn't focus on that fact that, well, you keep thinking that grad school isn't for you, mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe we should think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the things that would have been great is if we had, if I had really thought about that, I would have possibly started thinking about backup plans. Like, what uh, would I do if I weren't going to stick yeah. around? And this is something, this is a theme that has come up on this podcast a couple of times too, is a lot of people were like, no one talked about other ways of doing things. <laughs> Like, yeah. and and either, and some of us have gone through it and then we're like, wait, I never even knew this was a possibility. There's just something about academia that's so like blinders on where it's like, well, of course you're mm-hmm. going to be a professor. Well, of course you're going to be doing research. Like, you know, when you get to that level and it's, there are just other options. So the fact that we don't even know that the other options exist and feel like we have to, like with all capital letters, have to do something. I mean, of course, that's can be dangerous for the mental health of people too. That's, that's really interesting. I don't know of any other jobs that before you go into it, and sign up for a five or six year long commitment, (laughs) Mm -hmm. where they would ask, and, and where you're either not getting paid or not getting paid very right. well. That's incredibly really important that you bring that up. Inc- yes. <laughs> yeah. Incredibly, incredibly high levels of mental health where they expect a commitment mm. for that long before you really understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're it's, right. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And we, when I left my program, I now have become a resource. Well, not only, so I've become a resource partly because I continue doing workshops, mm. um, including um, on the same campus, um, but also because people just know that I left with a master's. Yeah. And I frequently get people reaching out and asking me, what are the resources a- available and what is the process of leaving? And mm. our handbook does mention that, you know, you can leave with a master's, but it's like, it's this, the teensiest little yep. vaguest Ugh. paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> Incredibly confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found is that when it came to... So in a moment, I'll back up and say a little more about how I actually sure. did end up leaving. Yeah. Um, but, but when I did get to that point where I was fig- figuring out what are the steps to take a leave of absence, which was my transition out mm-hmm. into, into a master's, I had to go and talk to so many different people, all of whom had, or all of who had so many like little bits of the puzzle and had so many questions. And from my perspective, if, if there is something that so many students may go through, including thinking about leaving Mm -hmm. their PhD Mm -hmm. program with a master's, which I think every student should think about, including the ones who ended deciding to stay in. Yep. um, I think it it just needs to be a clear process. Yep. Um, And, and, 
every person I talked to to try to figure out what do I do next, I also told them, thank you for your help. And also, I really want you to understand that I'm experiencing depression right now. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard on me that I have to go and chase down every single Even, answer yeah, individually. It's making it worse. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's such a difficult time. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, that's why I've, I'm trying to help mold programs to be more proactive to Mm. say here are the issues that may come up what are we going to do yeah yeah oh that's such important work masha (laughs) thank you yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so i'll okay i'll tell you about what actually ended up happening okay i was going to be going to the this genetics conference that was going to be happening in florida Mm -hmm. in 2016 and my uh, my advisor was going to be there as well. Mm-hmm. And I had been doing all the science communication and I was becoming more open about it. I started putting... Li- so on, online, I'm the genetics gal because mm-hmm. mostly I would communicate about genetics and also, also a lot about the scientific method. And so in my email signature, I started including links to my Twitter and my Instagram. Oh, smart. And I, <laughs> I made business cards. I made one business card that was specific to research and one sp- business card that was specific to my science communication. Um, well, science communication slash confidence building. Mm-hmm. Um, although in both cases, both of the business cards um, were actually way more artistic than um, the average <laughs> it's business It's coming card. back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, I didn't design them. Um, my my best friend, Lena Benning, um, is an amazing artist. And so um, in every step of what, you know, my career path, she has had some element of, um, of helping out. So she designed these these beautiful pictures or drawings of the yeast that I would study for my research focus one. Oh, and, that's awesome. um, and the DNA um, structure that I studied for my more science communication one. And so I was going to be at this conference handing out business cards about, you know, th- these different things while also I was going to be, it was going to be my first time presenting a poster on that graduate research. Ah. And I had been nervous that I would end up in a conversation where, where it would be, you know, me and my thesis, thesis advisor and several other people. And, um, she would end up hearing about these projects that I would be doing while, you know, but not directly from me through someone Ah, else or while hearing me talk. Yeah. And so, I went to her so nervous and told her about this. And it, it was, I mean, that conversation was one of the turning points of my career slash life. This is the same thesis advisor who's the one who, after 30 minutes of talking to me during an interview, offered me a volunteer position oh, uh-huh. and just an amazing person. And so what I came, I, I told her two things. One, I've been doing science communication and I love it. And I told her, you don't need to worry that this focus on science communication is going to detract from my graduate research because in fact, I think it's going to help keep me going strong. So Mm. I'll be able to finish. And then the other thing that I told her, I became more open with her about how bad my mental health had gotten. I had over time started opening more about my anxiety. I think anxiety is not a very, not a very stressful thing to talk about. Um, At least when you, when you're like me, you know, over time I've just gotten comfortable talking about a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but I 
I'm not sure if before that I told her that I had experienced depression, Mm -hmm. or at least I'm not sure that I told her how bad it had gotten. Mm -hmm. What I know I had not told her until that conversation is that there was a point at which it was so intense that I was convinced I should leave grad school. Mm -hmm. And in this conversation, she was so compassionate. And what she saw was this combination of there's these things that make me passionate and grad school is so stressful for me. And so what she said is, if what I do in my nights and weekends is so rejuvenating, then what can we do to make sure that as soon as possible, I'm spending my days, Mm. my work week on stuff that is actually bringing me Mm. happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I'm, Mm -hmm. she's absolutely, absolutely incredible. You know, I've been out of the lab now for about a year and a half and I got support from her over the phone as recently as a few weeks ago. And it was still, it was a really hard conversation because she said this and I just, I just sat there staring at her. Like, I don't get, what are you suggesting? Um, and when I realized what she was saying was, you know, that I should consider leaving with a master's, it, that was actually ended up being the most extended period of depression that I've had because I went from knowing, I I thought I knew what I was going to be doing Mm -hmm. for the next four or so more years. The plan was there. (laughs) Yeah. The plan was there. I think that's part of what keeps the blinders on. There's a plan. There's a plan. Yep. Put your head down and do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In my case, I had a stipend. Mm -hmm. I had health insurance. Mm -hmm. I had on-campus housing that we really liked living in. Yep. And suddenly it was just, well, I I don't know what the plan is going to be. And I ended up leaving the lab a few. Oh, well, so actually this conversation happened uh, just before that conference. And so then I had the conference and I was actually rooming at the conference with that close friend from the lab who had been the one who Mm -hmm. helped me stay in the Mm -hmm. other time. And so I, oh, She's such a dear. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that whether I should leave grad school or not and how anxious I was was like the only thing I talked about that whole week. Um, <laughs> she was hanging in there. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a it was also a great opportunity because it was this huge conference. I think it was the first time that a whole bunch of different genetics communities have come together. So the people who study yeast and mice and frogs all came together and and other ones too. And so I had an opportunity to get feedback from other people as well. And so there were um, several people I reached out to who just, I, I just met at the conference and I think both actually who I had connected with over Twitter. Wow. (laughs) um, Yeah. Before. Yeah. And then met them in person. And I asked both for advice. And um, one of them had switched labs while she was a grad student. And the other one had almost left grad school, but didn't because at the moment where he was trying to decide whether to leave his PhD program, he was experiencing intense depression. Mm-hmm. And he decided not to make that decision. Um, he, he decided not to make a decision he can't reverse while mm. experiencing serious mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And neither of them told me what I should do, but both of them gave me really good um well, it was helpful hearing their experiences, yeah. but even more helpful was hearing myself tell them my experience. Yep, yep, of course. And it just became really clear that I should I should 
at least, well, what I ended up doing was taking a leave of absence so that I could then you know, start that Figure process. Figure it out. Yeah. Start thinking about what, yeah, what exactly. you're going to do instead. Mm-hmm. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So I started. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I, I ended up in the lab for just, I think about another month or just a little bit under that. At first I was going to try to stay longer um, until I was going to try to stay longer, both so that I could have the like income continue to come in, mm-hmm. but also because we were getting pretty close to finishing up a research article mm. and I wanted to stay with it until we submitted it. Sure. And the lab, again, just so completely supported me. Um, I ended up leaving s- sooner than I had initially planned. Um, and it was partly because the postdoc I was working closely with said, you know, research articles, they, it's, you don't know when they're going to be done. There's always more (laughs) data. Yeah. Um, In in fact, our debt, like we had been trying to submit that article quite a bit in advance, uh, Mm -hmm. quite a bit before that and had pushed the deadline because that's Mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. And so those, those last few weeks, I was really depressed Mm. and I was not motivated. I remember my postdoc asked me, you know, you have a few weeks left. Are there any questions that you still want to test because with yeast research in a few weeks you can get some answers um it's actually one of the fastest organisms to work with Mm. and i remember she asked me that and i just looked at her blankly like i don't know i don't i I didn't care Mm. even though it was a project i had worked on for three years (laughs) at that point my motivation was just gone yeah and and, and i think part of that was the depression Mm -hmm. and part of that was recognizing finally admitting to myself i don't have to just because I'm here in this program, it doesn't mean I have mm. to pretend to really, really care mm. about this incredibly narrow project. Mm-hmm. Like I would bring people into the lab. I've given lab tours to kids, to my 90 year old grandma, that lab <laughs> tour I gave in Russian, which was a whole special challenge. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about the, like, you know, the stuff in genetics or in science that we've known for, you know, 50 years, 20 years forever, you know, or at least as long as the person I'm talking to is interested. I try not to just talk <laughs> at people. But spending all this time on just trying to understand how a really specific mm, several mm-hmm. parts of the cell work on really specific processes, that's how science has to happen. Yep, One yep, little yep. building block at a time. But I didn't want to be doing it. <laughs> and so th- those last few weeks, Um, not only was I not motivated, I also was really nervous about, well, I, my focus wasn't very good. And so those last few weeks, I actually spent doing really kind of mechanical things Mm. like in the lab, everyone has a research project and we also all help out by pouring, like by pouring Petri dish, Petri dish media Mm -hmm. and, um, sometimes like cleaning certain materials or setting up certain tools. And, but that was always a small part of what I did. And so I actually ended up transitioning just those last couple of weeks so that I took all or as much of as, um, as many of those tasks away from other people as possible so they could focus on their research mm-hmm. and I could just make checklists and oh, just wow. say, okay, yeah. I, I put this material in there, you know, just like with doctors, they say, um, if you follow a checklist, you're way less likely yeah, to make yeah. mistakes. Um, yeah, that was the only way that I could make sure that I still was helpful since I was still in the lab. I was still getting paid. I, you know, I still wasn't ready to quite leave, but not have to continue working on this project that was draining me and, you know, 
also make sure that I wasn't actually messing up other people's materials when I was preparing them. So the, it's another example of how the lab just really came together and helped me transition. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what was your first move then? um, Once you did decide to transition out, um, you know, you hung around the lab to to get a paycheck and and some of that stuff. Did you just Mm -hmm. start looking for work? Like what, what, what were you considering? How did that process go for you? I ended up job hunting for six months. Wow. That was wild. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the first. And you knew week, it, you wanted it to be kind of like in higher ed in some way. And it, it, or were you just open to anything at that point? I didn't necessarily know it would be in higher ed. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing that I, I ended up at San Diego yeah. continuing education because yeah, I'm that's cool. actually working on education. Yeah. yeah. It's, I couldn't ask for a better day job. But initially what I did was I said, okay, I have these various different kinds of skills mm-hmm. and interests. Mm-hmm. And what can I do? How can I really translate my graduate experience into something people are willing to pay me for? Yep. So the two main kinds of jobs I applied for are were science communication and administrative assistant. Mm-hmm. And so the science communication jobs, those were the ones... I think that's what I decided then was what, you know, what I definitely want to do. And science communication is a a great job for those people who can get it. But there's a lot of people now who are realizing they don't want to do research. They want to do science communication. Okay. And so, and not everyone knows what I mean when I say science communication. Yeah, so yeah like, that's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, so actually. <laughs> Bill Nye, the science guy, is uh-huh. like... who who I had the pleasure of one time meeting oh, and yeah, hugging and awesome. taking a selfie with. Yeah. Awesome. Um, he is, he's like the, um, one of the best known science communicators. Mm-hmm. There's science writers. Um, there's people who make videos on YouTube. Sure. There's people okay. who write so, for the people yeah, who make videos on YouTube. I love that. I never yeah. thought of that term, that broad of a term, but that is mm-hmm. what it is. Derek and I have talked a little bit about that too. Um, he definitely is an amazing physics teacher and I'm going to toot his horn as he's listening here, but he's fantastic at explaining super complex awesome. physics stuff. And yeah, um, yeah he's going to be, you know, working on some stuff around that too. But we talked about, yeah, those YouTubers, you know, minute physics, right? These people that mm-hmm. have built, um, you know, really just like brands, but also just like a uh, uh, really teaching, um, but mainstream, right? How can we bring, you know, what's happening in an, in an institutional level, like to the general population, like Neil deGrasse Tyson is another one that came mm-hmm. up in my head as well. Um, but I never would be like, Oh, they're science communicators, even though that is what they're doing. So I love that. I love that you're like naming that because that's totally what it is. Yeah, if anyone is interested in this, SciCom, S-C-I-C-O-M-M, uh-huh. if you search that like on Twitter or anywhere, you'll find absolutely amazing uh, things. like hashtags or, around that conversation. Exactly, yeah. and or stuff. like SciCom awesome. jobs. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and it, it even extends beyond just communication to like po- popular audiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's also like writing um, technical manuals. So sure, sure, every, sure. Like oh, yeah. And I think a couple in- of Derek's friends got into that. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like every piece of equipment that, you know, we work with in lab, um, someone needs to understand both how it like works. Like what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, and then how to make how to someone. Explain yeah. It. That makes yeah, perfect sense. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. So I- <laughs> Duh. Well, it, it helps have people explain clearly. <laughs> yeah. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those were, that was the, the, 
collection of jobs that I was really excited about. And, Mm -hmm. And I applied to some of those and I didn't get them. And I think they're um, you know, I think if I had for a much longer time been doing science communication as a hobby, mm-hmm. I would have been easier to transition to a paid job. Sure. And I was doing some, but um, like if I had really built up the experience of writing lengthy or not necessarily lengthy, but writing scripts mm-hmm. about science, you know, how si- various elements of science work or really learned video editing skills so yep. I can make my own videos yep. um, or even just, you know, whatever aspect of blogging, been doing it for a long time. But I had really only got it, gotten excited about science communication um, when I was a teaching assistant. And uh, so, yeah. um, in fact, I, I even ha- I gave my, the professor I worked uh, who's, who was teaching the class I was a TA for. Um, I can't thank her enough. Again, mentors just mm-hmm. have saved my life. She really let me make the class, at least my, my lab section, what I wanted of it. And so, of course, That's I great. taught them how to do everything they need to do with DNA. And, but we also did lots of, um, teaching them not to be afraid to ask questions mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, helping them figure out their career goals and also science communication. So, um, I had an assignment where they took pictures of what they were doing in lab and then communicated that actually through Instagram. In fact, oh, you can um, so cool. Instagram.com slash sharing science is where our, our class stuff is posted. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. then where did, if we can kind of fast, I don't know if it's fast forward or, or whatever, but where did it, you yeah, the kind next of, step, yeah. <laughs> yeah, where did you start to realize that like, Hey, maybe I can start my own kind of side income. Like, so you get the job hmm. at San Diego, um, continuing education. When did the confidence coaching come in and bold adulting? When, when was, what was going on in your head with that? So those actually came in the opposite order. So ah. while I was applying for jobs, I started learning so much about business. Ah. Podcasts are by far my favorite way to learn That'll or be do entertained. Mm-hmm. And so I spent just so much time listening to Biz Chicks was the biggest oh, uh, yeah. podcast. I've heard Is of that them. the group we got connected in or was that She Podcast? Um, it's not. I think it was She Podcast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. Um, but Biz Chicks has come up before for me too. So I'm definitely going to check them out. Oh, yeah. There's so much. Natalie Ekdahl, the host, has she just completely has given me such a huge understanding of business, how to start, like how, how to works. grow awesome. all these elements, all these people to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while I was unemployed, I started making this connection that mm. while I've been doing these workshops, mm-hmm. helping grad students be more confident. Mm-hmm. I also started working with people one-on-one to try to think about, well, if I have an hour or half an hour with someone, what exactly am I going to do to help them be more confident? And so I, I started just thinking about how to apply that, um, you know, the business principles that I was learning to, um, trying to get my message out as, as broadly as possible, all the while continuing to apply for jobs. Mm. And w- during those six months of unemployment, I tried to um, keep about like a nine to five job hunting, like official job applications or like yeah. networking specific to jobs. But then, you know, I, I said, well, as long as I'm doing approximately that, then again, nights and weekends, I have to be building mm. up my business. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so around that time is when I came up with my name and I made my website and started systematizing some of my processes. Yep. And um, and then I started getting uh, a few interviews. So awesome. After I 
after initial phase in which I was applying to a lot of science communication jobs, um, I started applying to administrative assistant secretary type, type of jobs. And that is what I, I do now. So I'm secretary to the dean. And um, it, it turns out that it was this, um, the job is a great fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has, I not only enjoy what I do on the day to day, and am able to bring a surprising amount of my grad school and even business skills into awesome. you know, being even better at my job. I could see um, that. But it, it also ends at exactly 5.30 p.m. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you it's know, a very day different day life. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's a very different life than I had in grad school. It's true. And, so, and I, I have my lunch break and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can plan months in advance. And sometimes I end up kind of stressed because I'm like, well, every night this month or, and all the weekends, I have so many plans, but I put those there, you know, yeah. and the month after that, like there's nothing there. It's just nine to five or eight thirty to Um, and so, yeah, it, it actually ends up being, um, a great combination. That Another part like of my story fit. that, um, not a lot of people know is, um, so the, there were a few weeks where I had decided that I should, try to start making money, even if it's something like shorter term. Mm. And so at the same time, I started tutoring as I also started working at a grocery store. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, it was funny. I was tutoring like really high level, like Mm -hmm. um, I was tutoring actually a business, a business grad student. Wow. Um, not not that I necessarily knew the subject of, of the classes, but I could read ahead and I knew how to study. I knew how to help guide someone through learning. Wow, that's really smart. I never heard anyone that's <laughs> done that for tutoring. That's so genius. Yeah. And so I was doing that. And then I was also a, a bagger at Ralph's. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that in the same community as where UCSD is. And so, um, I, I've never actually worked retail. Um, I had had jobs in college, but they were always either being a teaching assistant or an orientation counselor. Um, I'd never had one that was quite so active, so customer service. And I'm, I ended up there for exactly two weeks because on day one, I got a call from continuing education and they offered me the job. And so I put in notice two weeks notice on day one. I love it. (laughs) Hey, I'm I'm sure that's never uh, not unheard of, but that's funny. That's really funny. Yeah. It turns out I was really nervous to tell them and it was, uh, I was really nervous to tell Ralph's about that, but yeah, they have a lot of turnover. Um, I, I I actually, I really enjoyed my time. Um, I, I think in some cases it was a little bit, it was weird to think like there were times when I would see a professor who Ooh. I didn't really know too well, but I figured they probably recognize me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, before I had been doing, you know, high level genetics research and now I'm putting groceries so into a bag. Inter- interesting. Yeah. But the funny thing is I actually really enjoyed that job. Yeah. Um, the, the, I immediately started having back pain. Um, and I think that actually really helped me to recognize that, you know, all the people we see doing customer service, they might be having physical pain. Mm. They might be having a bad yes. mental health day, yep. but they're still yep. there being cheerful. And they're doing it. Um, yeah. And so that, I think that also has just added to my ability to empathize. Um, emotional labor. That's what we yeah. sociologists would call emotional labor. Yeah. yeah. Yep. The put, yeah. On, and so, put on a smile and bear through it because it's totally. part of the job. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, 
also really struggled with that because, you know, I want to be a very authentic person. Mm-hmm. Um, on the mm-hmm. other hand, that doesn't mean, doesn't you know, fit if the job description. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Now, on the other hand, some people might consider a better experience sure. to have a real conversation with their bagger. Um, and, you know, I, I actually, one of my favorite parts of the job was when, someone would need help out to their car. And then I would just get to just, well, to me, it felt like a break. I would just push their carts into, you know, into the parking lot and chat with them. I ended up talking to someone whose son was um, making his own career decisions. And mm. so they certainly appreciated that they had oh, this yeah, former scientist great. to mm-hmm. talk to. <laughs> yeah. That's um, great. And the, o- the other fun thing about that experience of having worked there is, you know, a lot of people in customer service want to do other things. And I think it's easy to forget that when Ah, you see someone, you see them working in customer service. Yeah. You you can think, oh, well, that's someone who works in customer service and that's all. But Mm. in fact, I met so many people who they were there short term or um, had other passions and weren't necessarily sure how they could pursue them. And so one of my favorite things now is I continue to shop at Ralph's. And um, when when I go there and people are like, oh, hey, I kind of remember you. You were here for a couple weeks. What are you doing now? And I can say, hey, I work now at San Diego Continuing Education and we have amazing free classes that can help you get to the careers you want. And um, so it turned out to be a great networking, which I would not have expected. <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah. I, I love I love that. I so I I've loved this conversation because I feel like we went really deep on something that is very important in higher education, the you know graduate path, but the mental health of um, people going through PhD work um, and graduate level work, I think is so is so key. But one thing I'm I'm curious if you could kind of give advice to anyone seen as, you know, based on what you've been through and what you've experienced and, you know, all the different ways you've make it, made it work and, you know, starting a business and all of that. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who's maybe considering leaving or, or maybe they're a professor and they want to start a side job? What would you cons- what, what kind of words of wisdom would you, would you give them? The biggest thing I always say is talk to as many people as humanly possible. It was only Mm. when I started opening up to not only my thesis advisor, but my friends, those people at the conference, um, that I really started understanding what my options were, um, what actual jobs are like, like what different kinds of jobs are like. And I think if I had spent more time as an undergrad, it really asking other people what their experience is like, I would have had a better sense of what grad school would have been like. And that could have made a more informed decision. That's really important. Yeah. Yeah. What about, so yeah. So just talking with mentors, I think that also came up a lot in, um, in your kind of interview in our conversation uh, is how important other people were um, in your journey and um, opening up to people and, and, you know, asking for help. And in many cases, in some cases, not asking for help, but being around people that are able to help you, I think is, is another thing that um, I think would really uh, benefit people as well. Yeah. So um, asking people for, or asking people for their experiences or their advice um, is, is a great start. I would yep. also say when you turn to people for this kind of guidance, it can really help if you're clear about what you want from them. Mm. Because in some cases, you 
just want to talk. And while you're talking, you can clarify for yourself or just feel better by yes, ranting that's a little so bit. Good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other cases, you actually want to hear their experience or you want to hear what they would advise you to do. I was, I ended up getting a pretty short amount of like low tolerance for a lot of the advice that was thrown at me. And that mm. affects how I you know, live my day to day now too. I know, I, I think I still tend towards, um, I think I still tend towards, uh, like a little too much advice in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, growth mindset, I, I plan to continue <laughs> right. getting better. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I, I was shocked by the number of people who would hear me say a couple sentences about my experience and then would start telling me, oh, well, you should stick with it because Uh, of that, or mm -hmm, you should mm -hmm. definitely leave because in most cases it was because it was because they, or the recommendation was to stay in. There were actually relatively few people who were telling me, oh, you should definitely leave. Yeah. Even though people were very open to it when I said I was going to leave. But yeah, the the people who feel like you just have to stick with it um, are really common. Um, One thing that helps that may help people um, as they're seeking advice. Um, there's this concept; it's called the Triforce of Communication. Um, mm. I learned about it through. There's this podcast called Multiamory, and mm-hmm. they um, give these um, this really wonderful system where you know when you turn to people, sometimes you want different things. Sometimes you want just someone to listen. Sometimes you want that advice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want a troubleshooting experience. Um, and this really helps to communicate what it is that you want. Um, mm. so other than talking to people, um, I would also say, talk to yourself and mm. be open to thinking about what you actually want to do and be open to taking steps to get there. And again, be open to planning to gain skills that you don't currently have. Uh, that's actually one of the creative projects that I have now. I'm, I would say, halfway done with a confidence cat coloring slash workbook where uh. I've taken all these comics that I um, have done where I take my cat, Courage the Confidence Cat, and <laughs> um, use him, little things that I see in him that I can anthropomorphize and turn into little comics about the experiences people go through. Um, I took a bunch of those drawings and then I'm making these pages where each of the drawings goes along with um, questions people can ask themselves. Um, Ah, I love that. Yeah. And if you'd like, um, I'm always looking for feedback. I'm planning to publish um, sometime over the next year, but in the meantime, um, I definitely want to, you know, keep improving. So if you or anyone in your audience wants to see some of them, um, I'm happy to share. Oh, that's awesome. Like one example is there's one where, um, you know, there's my drawing of confidence cat. And he says, when I grow up, I want to be a lion. And then there's, um, just spaces where people can ask ask themselves, spaces to write, how do I spend most of my time? What? How do I like to spend my time? Uh, what are things that people have said I'm good at? Mm-hmm. Uh, who are some people I can ask for feedback about my career plans? And then, and then like circle the first person that you're going to talk to. So it's not oh, this intimidating so list. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I think just really people ex- being open to different things and, and yep. understand, and, and this connects again to talking to people because it's really easy to go through 
undergrad and grad school and think there's one path and it's to be a professor. Yeah. And actually the skills we learn in undergrad, in grad school, in other jobs um, can prepare us for so many jobs that mm. we had no idea existed. Yes. And that is why this podcast exists. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So totally. good. So bringing us full circle. Yeah. That this, this has been such a great and enlightening conversation, Masha. And I'm just so glad you were able to share your story because I know, um, yeah, this is something that doesn't get talked about too, too often, unfortunately, but you're really providing, um, you know, some guidance for people and, and the work that you're doing right now too. It's like, it's, it sounds like what you went through, you're helping people get through it as well. And I think that that's kind of what we do as entrepreneurs, right? Starting a business, solving a problem, um, and helping people where we struggled. Um, and so I think that's really awesome. I think that's also true of professors. Like Mm. you go through your undergrad or grad training and you have all these struggles and you figure out what it is about the subject you're interested in that is hard to hard to understand and then you figure out how to pave that process for other people yeah oh that's great i've never made that connection before that is awesome i'm Um, amazed by how many connections there are between uh, uh, academia and entrepreneurship and that's why i was so excited when i heard about your podcast yeah um yeah it, it just seemed perfect like one major connection that i saw is the confidence issues um you know mm, I, oh, yeah, I learned for sure <laughs> i learned all about the or like i saw firsthand myself and through other people the confidence issues that that grad students have and then i go and start pursuing business and i see oh well confidence comes Same up there stuff. all the time as well <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yep yep i love it that's so good um so where are you hanging out on social media right now i definitely we definitely got a bunch of links for your show notes but where can people start kind of finding out more about what you do and socializing with you on the interwebs my website is boldadulting.com and for social media my business social media is all bold adulting. And then my, my personal is the genetics gal. And that Ah. used to be mostly my science communication. Um, but now that I'm not in the lab um, anymore, I still often find ways to relate things to science. Um, but, um, (laughs) for example, like, um, we had some dishes that weren't done for a little ex- more time than they should have. And so some mold started growing up. That and never I, happens at my house. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I'm, I was looking at it, taking pictures and just thinking like, wow, this looks a lot like the mold that would grow up oh my gosh, in, so funny. in our Petri dishes, you know, when we were trying not to have it grow. Um, so yeah, <laughs> as, as the genetics gal, you'll see me talk mostly about, um, about my life and so in some cases the behind the scenes my my experience of being in my business mm, um another cool. another place that people um um another place that people may be interested in finding me is i also run a facebook group that is for people who overeat so ah. it, it's called quirky bingers um so mm. quirks is um yeah i had mentioned quirks who care Quirk, yep. um, quirks is who is what i call people in my community mm. um and so quirky bingers is people who are um who overeat whether they actually have 
binge eating disorder or have not been diagnosed and want to be open about it. And so mm. it really fits in well into um, all the rest of this because I don't even think I've said the word destigmatization on this podcast so far, no. but that's no. one of the other main themes is just getting stuff out there in the open. Yep. Yep. Um, so yep. yeah, if, if, if anyone um, wants some help with that, um, they can just search quirky bingers um, and find it on there. Perfect. And we'll definitely link to that below as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your birthday with me this birthday evening. (laughs) Um, It's been such a pleasure. And yeah, I look forward to further conversations, maybe having you back on. I know we've kind of mentioned that before uh, because we could talk all day, it sounds like, about this stuff. And I think, um, yeah, I think what you're doing um, is just so, so, so important. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Yeah, I have have lots more stories. So... (laughs) Right. I'd love There's to come more back where that came from. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Masha. Have a, a cool. fabulous evening. Well, thank you. You too.